today on Ag News Daily. And he said that Michigan Sugar plans to do early big uh, starting mid-August, which is kind of uh, kind of soon in my book, considering the drought. So the tonnage is light. Good afternoon, listeners. It's Ashton Carr on the podcast today with Mike Pearson. Mike, how's your Friday going? You know, it's not too bad at all. Had a little chilies for lunch. Can't go wrong going with some chilies Cajun pasta, which is a bizarre, bizarre combination of foods to serve at a Tex-Mex place, but it was tasty. So I am doing well, Ashton. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Yesterday, I went to the largest Brahms in the world, and so I'm kind of riding off of that high. Do you have Brahms up where you're at, Mike? What are, what is it? So it's it's a restaurant. It's like a drive-through restaurant. It's it's just like a burger place, but they also have a grocery store attached to every Brahms, and they have their own milk and eggs and cheeses, and it's amazing. It's classic. Interesting. So we've got a high V in Central Iowa, well, in a lot of states in the Midwest, and it's. Sometimes it has a burger place in it, and you can get Chinese. I think I'm going to get Chinese from dinner for dinner at Hy-Vee, and then it's also a grocery store. That's cool. Well, good. You eat a lot of ice cream. Oh, absolutely. I, I love Brahms. I applaud them. They uh, Their locations stick to a certain mileage from the dairies that they are partnered with, and so they're, they're really great. I, I approve of Brahms, everyone. Well, that's awesome. Well, let's uh, let's bill them for this commercial, Ashton. I'll put you in charge of that. And I tell you what, actually, while we're talking about ice cream, listeners, today is National Peach Ice Cream Day. So I'm going to, I don't know, I guess try to find some peach ice cream. Mm, home, homemade peach ice cream. That's That sounds like it would hit the spot. It also sounds like work, Ashton. So I'm going to try to find some in the freezer section of the Hy-Vee here in town. <laughs> well, awesome. Other than your your National Peach Ice Cream Day headline, what other news are you following along with today? So we've got a lot of news today focused on coronavirus. Um, it continues to spread. It continues to worsen. And we've got a couple of ways in which this is impacting agriculture. And I've got three of them. Well, I, I've got four stories all focused on coronavirus. Um, but I, I want to hit the top three right off the bat. The first is something we have been alluding to on this podcast for some time. And this is concerns that as COVID starts to spread further in the U.S., we're going to see folks putting their vacations on the back burner, taking few fewer trips, period, and overall gasoline demand slowing down. Well, it appears that is starting. We are hearing concerns from the oil majors around the world that uh, gasoline demand appears to be slowing down around the country. And of course, as that happens, we are going to see ethanol demand begin to slow back down around the country. Uh, Gas Buddy, which is a uh, an app and a website that tracks prices at the pump around the country, they also track total gasoline demand. They said that for the week ending July 11th, retail gasoline demand dropped 5% from the previous week. This is notable because it has been increasing since the middle of April. We had seen people getting out, kind of stretching their legs a little bit, burning some fuel. Now that is starting to turn. So corn growers have a plan in place. If you typically market off the combine to an ethanol plant, um, be prepared to make some changes. Look at other ways to manage that risk. Look at futures and options. Look at uh, you know, whatever tools are available in your toolbox. Now is the time to start considering them in case this thing does start to continue, uh, or excuse me, continues to worsen. 
Another way coronavirus is impacting the world of agriculture is actually down in Brazil. A judge down in Brazil has ordered all employees at a pork plant owned by JBS to stay home for 14 days. This plant said they had a a 40% of the workforce was uh, infected. Uh, with coronavirus, and uh, JBS wasn't making any moves to shut the plant down or extend, you know, paid uh, paid leave to these employees. So the judge said, "All right, we're going to do it," and closed down the plant. Now, this plant was already barred from exporting to China because of the ongoing coronavirus issues, but now it is completely closed down for the next two weeks. We'll keep an eye on that story. Coronavirus not just spreading like crazy in the U.S., spreading like crazy down in Brazil, Ashton. Yeah, and I, I want to take it back to some ethanol news just really quick. Um, but U.S. lawmakers from Iowa are trying to add aid for the biofuels industry into a pending coronavirus relief package in the U.S. Senate. And U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley and his Iowa colleague, Senator Johnny Ernest, hope to include a subsidy for speed stock for the ethanol industry in the bill. And as we know, and as you mentioned, farmers and producers of The corn-based biofuel were hit hard during the coronavirus pandemic as government-imposed lockdowns sank demand for gasoline. And Grassley was quoted as saying, the long-term hope for ethanol, though, is directly related to the extent to which the economy picks up and people start driving, which sounds like it's not going to be super hopeful. But U.S. U.S. law mandates that oil refineries blend billions of gasoline or billions of gallons of gasoline, excuse me, into their fuel pool or buy credits from those that do. And Grassley could not say when a final bill would be ready in the Senate. Yeah, there's still a lot of discussion going on with this coronavirus stimulus. It does sound like both Republicans and Democrats have come to the agreement that uh, this package needs to have more direct funding to the American people. But aside from that, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot agreed upon. So I'm guessing this ethanol subsidy, whatever form it might take, is one of those things that will be debated over the coming weeks. It is interesting that they're going to approach this as a subsidy for Feedstock. So basically, it, it sounds to me, and I haven't looked at the text of what uh, Grassley is proposing, but if they're subsidizing the feedstock, that would seem to me, and, and listeners, I know we got a lot of ethanol industry folks plugged in. If I am misreading this, please hop onto our social media at uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at Ag News Daily and let us know. But it would sound as though they're going to subsidize the purchase of corn. At the end of the day, if ethanol isn't being produced, that corn is just going to be piled up somewhere and it becomes a liability for the plant. So I'm curious to see what form this takes. We'll keep an eye on this as we move forward. Absolutely. And I was a little bit confused, I guess, myself, since it was feedstock and they're talking about ethanol and gasoline. So I'm a little bit excited, I suppose, to see if this bill does get passed and what exactly it says for producers. Yes, indeed. Well, I've got another piece of coronavirus news, and this is out of China. So we talked, oh gosh, it's probably about a month ago, China announced they're going to step up coronavirus inspections of everything, particularly food products, coming through their ports. This is when they were going around the world asking exporters to sign pledges stating that their goods were coronavirus-free, guaranteed through to China, and then China was going to test them and inspect them once they got to the port. Well, not many folks ended up signing the pledge. Their stuff was coronavirus free. This is too risky. 
But China did, in fact, step up testing at the port. So what has happened is that throughput at Chinese ports has collapsed. China, with these increased inspections, is slowing down the arrivals, and the ports are now at their capacity limits. Basically, ships are starting to back up with food on them because the Chinese inspectors can't get through the process fast enough. And now there is concern starting to grow about whether or not China can continue to both order predominantly meats. So that's really the main concern, chilled meats and frozen meats, uh, which China has been aggressively buying on the international scene. If they can continue to afford to, given the charges that are arising at ports as these ships are having to stay frozen for, in some cases, additional weeks while they wait to clear inspection. So this is something to keep an eye on. We saw yesterday on the export report, uh, reports that China was another big buyer of U.S. pork. And again, a lot of the pork they're buying is frozen. It's got to stay cold while those ships are hanging out there in China. So we'll keep an eye on this story as well. But coronavirus is having massive impacts around the world and especially in agriculture. Well, I have a little bit of non-COVID related news. Recently, yeah, I know, right? I feel like that's all is in the headlines these days, but I did find a little bit of news about African swine fever. So researchers at Kansas State University are working with a veterinary medicine company based in South Korea to develop a vaccine for African swine fever. K-State says it's using the technology of single-cycle adenovirus, which was developed at Mayo Clinic. The lead researcher says they believe that platform will be the best way to deliver a safe and effective vaccine because it has more robust consistent immune response to traditional vaccines. And formulation and testing of the new AFS vaccine candidate is funded through 2023. So it sounds like it's going to take a little bit of time, but researchers have hopped on that train to try and find a vaccine for African swine fever. Outstanding. I know the folks in China would be really glad to hear that because they did just announce uh, yesterday or the day before that China has seen its seventh straight quarter of pork production declines due to African swine fever. Though at the same time, we've been ramping up production in this country. I know we'd love to keep that business going and continue selling pork to China. It's one of those things we'll keep an eye on. And in fact, I want to throw this question out there. I want to enter the fray. It was announced earlier today that Iowa is going to do everything it can to open schools up this fall with in-person teaching. It's really not allowing a whole lot of decisions at the school district level. I know of a lot of our listeners are rural folks who are scattered throughout the country. I want to hear your thoughts. What are your school districts doing? I know this impacts parents' plans as we get into the school year. Uh, hit us up. Find us on uh, on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter. Let us know what you're hearing out of your district and your state. What do school plans look like in rural America in the midst of coronavirus? Let us know. Ashton, I am out of news. Do you have any other stories you want to get to? I don't. I will add, however, to that and say that my parents actually received a survey on whether or not they felt comfortable with two of my younger sisters going back to school. And they go to a pretty small school district. And so I will say that they're trying to kind of put feelers out. But but other than that, I haven't heard too much about schools opening and and I don't have any other news either. So if you want to get into the markets, I am ready. 
Let's do it. Folks, markets today, we've got green on the screen in grains and corn and beans, a little red in wheat, mixed trade throughout the day in the cattle complex. We'll see where she closed here in just a second. In the corn market, September was up two and three quarters at 333, even December up two and a quarter, closed at 339 and three quarters. Looking at beans, the August contract's up four and a half at 898, even November up four cents to close at 895. In Chicago wheat, that September contract down half a cent at 534 and three quarters, December down a quarter, closed the day at 5.40 and a half. Looking over to livestock, we actually pulled out kind of a win in the cattle complex today. August live cattle unchanged on the day, climbed from losses earlier in the day to finish at 103.2750. October contract up 27.5 cents to close at 106.8750. August feeder cattle up 10 cents at 142.70. September up 57.50, finishing at 143.32 and a half. And pressure in lean hogs, the August contract down 85 cents at 52.80. October down 75, closed at 51.07 half. Looking over the dairy market in class three milk, July up a nickel at 24.28. August, however, down 21 cents on the day to close at 22.48. Ashley, why don't you tell us who we're talking to for today's interview? Today, we are talking to Max Schwab, who is a farmer. He farms a lot of stuff that he will tell you about here in just a minute. And he's also a certified crop advisor in Michigan. Hey guys, when I'm not hosting Ag News Daily, I'm helping out with the Iowa Farm Bureau's Spokesman Speaks podcast. If you're from Iowa, you're probably familiar with the Spokesman newspaper. It has the largest readership of any ag newspaper in the state. The Spokesman Speaks podcast is an extension of that newspaper, reaching farmers and ag professionals like you on the go with the stories that matter most. This week's episode is all about livestock farm security. Unfortunately, we're all familiar with stories about livestock farms that have been targeted by people and groups with bad intentions. So how can you reduce the risk of having you and your farm targeted? We ask an ag attorney that very question in this episode of The Spokesman Speaks. You can find and subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app or go to iowafarmbureau.com slash podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Matt Schwab, who is a certified crop advisor in Michigan and also a cash crop and beef producer. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hey, you're welcome. Thank you for asking me. It sounds like you've got your hands full out there in Michigan. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more of an in-depth view about you? Well, sure. Yeah, I'm from Northeast Michigan. Uh, north of Saginaw, so my hometown is Standish, Michigan, and uh, up here in God's country, we got uh, quite a diversified cropping system up here. Uh, we grow everything from sugar beets and cucumbers to your regular corn, soybeans, wheat, alfalfa, broad range of crops, specialty crops. Um, so we have quite a quite a complex rotation. So. Um, live right next to Lake Huron. So uh, we've got some beautiful country up here. Well, Matt, yeah, I've got a view in my head of what it must look like up there. Certainly probably looks a lot more beautiful than out here in Lubbock. It's pretty flat out here, so I'm a little bit jealous. I assume our, our weather has been a bit different as well with all of the heat and all of that. So um, what, what's it looking up 
up there for, for weather and rain and, and the forecast for you? We started out with a fantastic spring planting season. Uh, we hit the fields late April, early May, which uh, is on time for us. Uh, gave us a good start. And then we had a uh, six to seven inch rainfall on my area of Bay County, Arnett County. Um, the, basically the Saginaw Valley region is what it's called. Um, so that heavy rain, uh, we, we flooded a lot of fields, washed out a lot of acres, washed out bridges and roads, had quite a quite a uh, episode here there mid-May. So uh, a lot of cl- crops had to be replanted. Uh, some were, were uh, thinned out by the flooding. Um, but we kind of we cleaned things up, got back to progress there with the planting and finished up uh, timely by the end of May. Um, then we kind of transitioned into hot and dry weather, which is always the case after a lot of rain. So uh, honestly, we've been pushing the high 80s and low 90s the last couple of weeks with very minimal rain. So we're actually starting to see uh, some drought stress across the area, some corn that's really suffering on the lighter soils. Uh, thank goodness the soybeans are holding their own. Uh, cucumbers are uh, are doing good, off to a good start. Actually, uh, some of the early plantings of cucumbers, they will start harvesting those uh, here towards the end of the month, maybe even next week. So uh, around here, the cucumbers are growing for pickles. So quite often we refer to them as pickles, although they're actually cucumbers until they are pickled. So uh, anyway, uh, kind of a tidbit there. Sugar beets are doing great. Uh, if we get some rain here to help them out, uh, we'd pick up some tonnage uh, quickly. I actually talked to one of my growers yesterday in the sugar beet field, and he said that Michigan Sugar plans to do early dig uh, starting mid-August, which is kind of uh, kind of soon in my book considering the drought. So the tonnage is light, but they do pay a premium on that early dig on a per ton basis. So kind of interesting to hear uh, talk about early digs there. So uh, soybeans are looking great. They're doing phenomenal. Um, Last few years, we've gotten growers and myself as well to plant beans early. So some of the early May beans just are filling the row on wide rows, looking phenomenal despite the lack of rain. And like I mentioned, corn's kind of being stressed out. We're seeing some fields starting to tassel, even though the corn's only about chest high to me, so probably about four and a half, five foot tall, throwing a tassel out. So I think we're definitely going to see a reduction in yield from the corn acres uh, where we're growing stressed. So I want to take it back a little bit and you were talking about sugar beets and I am not familiar with sugar beet crop or anything. So can you just walk me through what the process is from planting to harvest for sugar beets and really what that process looks like for, for a sugar beet farmer? Yeah, for sure. 